The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Welcome back to another State House Takeout here on a drizzly Friday afternoon with Colin Young and Chris Lasinski joining us from the State House News Service. Hi, folks. Howdy, Sam. Hey. Well, uh, I just had my afternoon snack, I'll let you know, and it, it wasn't takeout, but it was. Uh, a payday candy bar from the fourth floor vending machine. They still make paydays and got me thinking about fiscal affairs and uh, the uh, state of our workforce in Massachusetts, our economy, you know, as as one does when one eats a payday uh, candy bar. You didn't, you didn't want to go for the, uh, was it 100 grand bar? Oh. Do they have any of those? I, I wish I struck it rich with a hundred <laughs> grand bar, but I don't think Frank orders those. In any case, uh, luckily enough, we've got uh, Colin and Chris here who can, can fill us in on all these things I started wondering about as I unwrapped the payday. Um, the state of the Massachusetts economy, its, it's, it's uh, future trends, and uh, some of the legislature's ambitious spending plans that are uh, on the horizon for debate this fall that um, could be possibly affected by the state of the Massachusetts economy moving forward. So uh, anyway, Colin, let's let's start off with you, because uh, you wrote a fair bit for us this week about um, recent surveys and, and predictions by our uh, state's economic prognosticators. Uh, what are some of the stresses, because there is a bit of trepidation there, uh, what are some of the stresses that they've been seeing? Yeah, Sam, so I'll, I'll start with the stresses, but uh, off the top, just want to say that it was sort of a, the last few weeks have been weeks of... Um, somewhat mixed signals. But yeah, let's start with these stresses, because that uh, is what came up repeatedly this week. Uh, and of course, it's those are the things that people are concerned about. So we started off with the Associated Industries of Massachusetts, uh, putting out a release early this week, saying that when it surveyed its member companies as part of its monthly uh, business confidence index, uh, it found that two-thirds of Massachusetts employers surveyed uh, expect that the national economy will contract by the end of next year. Uh, and that was is really driven, uh, AIM suggests, by what it called a, quote, darkening outlook among manufacturers mm-hmm. that's really bogging down uh, overall confidence among the employers here. And they have been seeing a widening gap, right, between the manufacturing manufacturing sector in Massachusetts and, and the non-manufacturers. Yeah, and that, that gap... Um, that gap is, is is always there, but you're right that it's it's widening. Uh, AIM reported uh, that in the last month, non-manufacturers uh, were more confident, had a uh, reading of 61.9 on a 0 to 100 scale, 50 being neutral, uh, 61.9 uh, for non-manufacturers and 55.4 for manufacturers. Uh, but exactly, AIM said that those gaps appear to be growing. Uh, and manufacturing, I know we don't often talk about Massachusetts as a big, man, you know, huge manufacturing You can state. make it in Massachusetts, as they that's say. Right. That's right. That's right. But it does account for almost uh, 10% of the state's economic output, uh, and the manufacturing sector employs uh, just less than 7% of the state's workforce. So some of these stresses that that they're feeling, and uh, these were really highlighted this week by Mass Benchmarks, a group of economists that uh, from time to time will get together, discuss the state of things, and uh, they they publish a summary of their discussion, which is quite helpful. Uh, and the main 
main stresses they pointed to were uh, global trade tensions, something that uh, has been going on for months now, uh, the looming Brexit split between the United Kingdom and the European Union, which uh, could lead into those global trade and economic tensions. Yeah. Um, and newly, the U.S. House's impeachment inquiry, which could uh, create some instability uh, here domestically. Yeah, a lot of global affairs and, and, and national affairs uh, converging on Massachusetts. Yeah, exactly, especially uh, where everything is so global now. Those um, What happens elsewhere in the world is certainly going to be felt here uh, in the United States and in Massachusetts. Right, much more than our economy back in 1919. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Colin, one of the positive things for our state has been our low unemployment rate. Uh, but it was interesting to see it flipped around here uh, in what you reported, that the low unemployment rate means um, a labor shortage when, when folks are looking to hire. Right. Companies that are looking to grow um, might be hamstrung by the fact that they can't find uh, either enough workers, enough qualified workers, uh, or that uh, what they would have to do to, to, to get those workers is... Um, uh, really too much for them at, at this point. I want to read, Sam, a quote that AIM uh, included with its Business Confidence Index this month uh, because it, it hits on exactly that point. Uh, this employer who is not named and the company was not named uh, said, quote, our workforce has already dropped. Conditions have been very volatile for us. One month we're up, two or three months we're down, next two months are up. Two months after that, we're down considerably. Next month, moderate. And that's something that uh, that certainly we have seen over the last couple of years with the state tax collections. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, Sam, that we were talking about the governor exercising his 9C authority to make mid-year spending cuts. Right. And now the last two fiscal years, we've been talking about a surplus right. at the end of them after the um, uh, federal tax law changes that, that took effect a few years ago. Uh, so the volatility is something that uh, is certainly on everyone's, everyone's mind here. Yeah, and so it isn't just any one of these factors, Colin, that's that's uh, stressing the economy, but it's perhaps this this convergence that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. The folks at Mass Benchmark said that, sure, all of these are risks, but none of these risks in and of itself is enough to really sink the Massachusetts economy. But it's when you start compounding them and, and stacking them one on the other, a labor shortage at a time amid uh, uh, global um, financial chaos, potentially, um, while there's also domestic political issues here in the United States. As these things stack one on top of the other, um, what Mass Benchmark said is uh, that they can be expected to exert downward pressure, not a good thing, on business investment and consumer confidence over time. Downward pressure, not a good thing. Mm -mm. <laughs> Um, and so they do um, uh, warn the state to exercise some fiscal caution, they said, fiscal caution. Uh, and, and Chris, as we look ahead to this fall and debates coming up around the corner in, in the House anyway on transportation funding and education funding, which the Senate tackled the education piece last week, uh, are we seeing fiscal caution here or, or how much are they banking on this millionaire surtax coming around the corner for education and transportation? Uh, how much might these ambitious plans that they're looking at be affected if all of these factors that Colin was just talking about do come to bear down in a, in a downward manner upon Massachusetts? I think, and I think we, we talked about this interaction last week, but 
uh, I would say that the legislature's approach could probably best be summed up by Senate President Karen Spilka on the radio when pressed about whether the new education funding would carry new taxes with it. And she said that's something that's going to be up to future legislatures to decide. Um, they're not necessarily being reckless or, or anything like that, but uh, there does just seem to be a lot of interest in targeting these priorities right now. And if the macro circumstances change and the macro circumstances change and lawmakers will perhaps respond as that unfolds. As needed, yeah. And Chris, you covered the hearing this week on the governor's transportation bond bill, uh, which actually included a measure that would add perhaps some more funding for transportation, and that's a piece of this um, TCI. T- tell us about that. The Transportation Climate Initiative. That yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, hard to get all the acronyms straight up here on Beacon Hill. Uh, that's something that's uh, a multi-state partnership, about a dozen states and Washington, D.C coming together. Uh, it's still in development. They've rolled out a draft framework. They're still working on that. But basically what that would be is a, uh, a collaboration to implement a cap and invest program on greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector, kind of similar to, to REGI, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. We still don't know what the exact costs of that are going to look like. We still don't know what the exact caps are going to look like. but uh, Or how much someone would pay at the pump as a result that could then go back into transportation infrastructure. Exactly. But the governor said this week while speaking about it that, yeah, there probably is going to be some change at the gas pump that the individual consumers will feel uh, as you know, might be expected to happen anytime you put some sort of large-scale pricing mechanism on commodities like this. So besides this TCI, Chris, as the House moves forward with, and we're still expecting, right, a a transportation funding discussion or debate this fall? We still are. We still don't know what that looks like. I, I, I guess this is, Colin, maybe you can shed some context if this is just standard operating procedure on Beacon Hill to float a forthcoming debate for months and months and never actually speak about what that debate is going to include. Mm, well said. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, we've heard consistently, though, uh, from Speaker Bob DeLeo, and um, I, I heard uh, specifically from uh, Transportation Committee Chair Bill Strauss that the House does intend to debate transportation uh, revenue, transportation financing more broadly, in some form or fashion before the end of this calendar year, which as we know, really means before Thanksgiving. It's about five weeks. Exactly. That that week before Thanksgiving is the last week for the legislature to you know, take up considerable business uh, before we flip the calendar to 2020. Mm. And just to kind of recenter us a little bit, you know, Sam, you were asking about the Transportation Climate Initiative. That's the one component of this $18 billion bill, Baker filed, that actually calls for new revenue to fund all of these uh, various transportation investments, new money on roads and bridges, new money in the T. The rest would, uh, the rest of the money in this bill would be done by borrowing. And what legislators have said, what both chairs of the Transportation Committee told, uh, told you and I this week, you were down there, was right. that they just don't think there's enough revenue out there to fund all of these priorities and that not all of these projects should be done with borrowing. Colin? Yeah, Chris, I was interested in that. Is there a point that there's not enough revenue to cover the debt service for the borrowing or that there's not enough um, revenue to have as a sort of fallback to uh, the plans that that the governor's laying out in, in his capital plans? I think it's a little bit unclear, to be totally honest, but I would say that it's probably more the latter, that they want to have 
dedicated sources of revenue coming in. You know, one component with TCI that Bill Strauss spoke about at this hearing is that if it's successful in the long run, yes, it will bring in revenue to the state for a couple of years, you know, the state's profit on those caps imposed. But if it drives down fossil fuel use and people are buying less fuel, eventually it's going to bring in zero revenue. If it does its job, it will eventually dry up. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, just as a quick side note, uh, Strauss actually questioned in that hearing whether constitution, there was some constitutional question whether all of the revenue from TCI had to be directed totally into infrastructure. Right. Uh, His point was that because it is a transportation climate initiative and aimed at putting a cap on uh, emissions from the transportation sector, therefore all of the revenue from it should go back into, uh, you know, helping that sector of the state rather than the half that the governor wants to direct toward public transit. So we've been talking about this in terms of uh, prices at the pump and motorists, but uh, what does this portend for uh, the MBTA? That's, uh, I think, another key part of this revenue question that the legislature really wants to to get at. Um, the, leg- uh, the MBTA, once again, faces a structural deficit, as it has for years and years and years and years. That is growing somewhat over what the projections were. Based on a, an update we got at the board meeting this week, they're now forecasting a $53 million deficit, mm. which is after originally expecting a $37 million deficit. The administration doesn't seem to share the legislature's concerns about this. I spoke to Transportation Secretary Stephanie Pollack outside the the hearing, and she said that, well, five years ago when they formed the Oversight Board, the initial projections were that they would have an operating deficit in this year of $427 million. So if they are only at $53 million, even if that's a little bit higher than projected, that's still a, a success in the long run. But, you know, here in this building, within the legislature, I, I don't think that there that same kind of viewpoint. There seems to be a lot of appetite to bring in more money and invest it all in the T to accelerate some of these projects and make sure that, you know, there isn't that same kind of operating deficit year after year. I'm just happy that my 6% fare hike uh, that I'm paying now every month of my monthly MBTA pass is going to good use. All right. Well, over the summer, we, we did see the uh, House Revenue and Transportation Chairman um, meeting together with Ways and Means and the Speaker's Office. And so even if the broader debate hasn't started yet, the conversations amongst the principals are, are certainly underway. And uh, we know that education funding has, has certainly been a behind-the-scenes topic with lawmakers uh, throughout the summer as well. So once it hits the the main stage of of the House chamber. It won't be a fresh topic to everybody by any means. Um, But Colin, let's, uh, in closing, just bring it back to what you mentioned at the top, which was the mixed signals. Uh, It's not all bad news, right? Yeah, and it's interesting context for for that debate you were just talking about. Uh, Whenever that really kicks off, you know, in the next month or so, lawmakers are going to be hearing from AIM and other groups uh, of that type saying, you know, AIM used the phrase this week that businesses are assuming a defensive posture. And, and, you know, the group keeps pointing to um, all of these new things that have been uh, put upon businesses in the last few years, Uh, paid sick time, uh, the new paid family and medical leave uh, law, uh, the higher minimum wage, Mm. et cetera, et cetera, saying, you know, look, cool it on all of this. Businesses can't take this all right now. You know, and they keep pointing to this, you know, look, there's a slowdown in manufacturing, economic growth is slowing down, now's not the time to be debating, 
new or increased taxes for things like transportation and education. But there's mixed signals. At the same time, state tax collectors are looking at uh, tax collections from the first quarter of fiscal year 2020 that are up 3.2% over last year, which uh, resulted in a, a large surplus. So there are, there are those mixed signals where uh, employers and um, some economic analysts are saying, ooh, you know, trouble on the horizon, look out, it might uh, might not always be this good, the, the, the bad times might be coming. But so far, that hasn't uh, shown up in the state coffers. Yeah, and things just keep going up and up exactly. and up. Hmm. All right. We can leave it there for this week, I think. Um, quickly, uh, what's some other story that you covered this week that, that stuck out to you in, in, a, in a thought, in a breath, uh, Chris? Well, last Friday, uh, after we recorded, actually, in a classic uh, state communications move, we got the final 100-plus page Grant Thornton report at 4.45 before the weekend. So there was a lot of uh, decompressing from that and working through that this week. Uh, and that's governors. the uh, independent audit of the uh, RMVs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks for, for contextualizing that. And uh, I would just say, you know, the governor pushed back on uh, some, some findings that uh, his administration's close focus on improving customer service of the RMV contributed to this. Uh, he doesn't really uh, doesn't see a, a clear link there. Colin? Uh, robocalls. There's a good hearing down in Gardner Auditorium earlier this week on, uh, among other things, uh, bills that would uh, try to tamp down uh, the number of robocalls that we all get to our phones all day, every day. Um, you know, you want a cruise. We have uh, an issue with the warranty on your car, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's sick of them. Uh, so there's a good hearing on robocalls. Rep. John Barrett from out in North Adams has a bill that uh, he says would, would help um, cut down on these annoying calls. And uh, in a similar vein, Rep. Denise Provo testified in favor of the bill that she's offered to prohibit the unsolicited mailing of things like, uh, the, you know, those coupon booklets that get sent out from time to time, the oh, direct right. mailing. The shoppers. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I just this morning brought my recycling out and I had like three of those piled up in, on my front steps. I had to, I didn't even open them. I didn't even look at them. So if, if, uh, if those could stop coming to my apartment, I'd appreciate that. I like that. those Burger King coupons, I got to say, when those come. Oh, I haven't seen those. Yeah, Chip, keep uh, an eye out. Chippy from the House Chamber and I, we share a love of uh, ah, those Burger King coupons. Have it your way. Yeah. <laughs> and I will. I'm heading up to Maine this weekend for the long weekend. Uh, Colin, Chris, anything good going on? Uh, heading out to Pittsfield for a wedding. Can I get to uh, check out it's the... It's like uh, your 10th wedding this year. Uh, yeah, this is the, what, 6th, 5th, 6th, something like that. But uh, yeah, hoping the foliage is nice out there. Oh, don't yeah. get to see too much of that in Boston. No, you don't. I'll be here. Uh, I'll be here recovering from the nor'easter that never really hit. <laughs> well said. All right, have a great weekend, folks. Make it in Massachusetts. Make it first. Make it last. Make it slow. Make it fast. State House Takeout is a production of the State House News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.